Section 3 of Rough and Ready, or Life Among the New York Newsboys, by Horatio Alger, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Falder. Chapter 5. A New Home. Miss Manning paused before a house, not indeed very stylish, but considerably more attractive than the tenement house in Leonard Street. This is where I live, she said. Is it a tenement house? asked the newsboy. No, there's a woman keeps it. Um, uh, Mrs. Nelson. Some of the rooms are occupied by boarders, but others only by lodgers. I can't afford to pay the board, she asked, so I only hire a room and board myself. While she was speaking, the two children were following her upstairs. The entries were dark and the stairs uncarpeted, but neither Rough and Ready nor his sister had been used to anything better and were far from criticizing what might have been disagreeable to those more fastidious. Miss Manning kept on till she reached the fourth story. Here she paused before a door and, taking a key from her pocket, opened it. This is where I live, she said. Come in, both of you. The room occupied by the seamstress was about twelve feet square. Though humble enough in its appearance, it was exquisitely neat. In the center of the room was a strip of carpeting about eight feet square, leaving, of course, a margin of bare floor on all sides. Why, you've got carpet, Miss Manning, said Rose with pleasure. Yes, said the seamstress complacently. I bought it at an auction store one day for only a dollar and a half. I couldn't well spare the money, but it seemed so nice to have a carpet that I yielded to the temptation and bought it. It seems more respectable to have a carpet, said the newsboy. It's more comfortable, said Miss Manning, and it seems as if the room was warmer, although it doesn't cover the whole floor. What a nice little stove, said Rose admiringly. Can you cook by it? She pointed to a small square stove at one end of the apartment. Oh, yes, I can boil eggs and do almost anything. I bought it at a junk shop for only two dollars. I don't have a fire all the time because I can't afford it, but it is pleasant, even when I am feeling cold, to think that I can have a fire when I want to. In the corner of the room was a bedstead. There was also a very plain and somewhat battered bureau and a small glass of seven inches by nine hanging over it. On a small table were placed half a dozen books, including the Bible, which years ago Miss Manning had brought from her country home, the gift of a mother now many years dead. The poor seamstress had never let a day pass without reading a chapter in the good book, and among all her trials and privations, of which she had many, she had never failed to derive comfort and good cheer from it. "'How nice your room looks, Miss Manning,' said Rose admiringly. "'Yes, it's jolly,' said the newsboy. I try to make it as comfortable as I can, but my means are small, and I cannot do all I wish. And are you willing to let Rose come and live with you? I shall be very glad to have her. She will be so much company for me. You'd like to come, Rosie, wouldn't you? Ever so much, said the little girl. That is, if I can see you every day. Of course you will. I'll come up to see how you're getting along. Then it's all settled, said the seamstress cheerfully. Take off your bonnet, Rose, and I'll tell you where to put it. It isn't all settled yet, said Rough and Ready. I must find out about how much it's going to cost for Rose, and then I can pay you so much every week. How much rent do you pay for this room? It costs me a dollar a week. Maybe they'll charge more if there are two in it. I think not much. I could go and ask Mrs. Nelson. I wish you would. The seamstress went downstairs and saw the landlady. She returned with the intelligence that Mrs. Nelson would be willing to have her receive Rose on the payment of 25 cents additional. That will make a dollar and a quarter for the two, said the newsboy. Then I'll pay sixty-two cents a week for Rose's share. No, said the seamstress, only twenty-five cents. That is all that is charged extra for her. Rose must pay her half of the expenses, said the newsboy decidedly. That'll be sixty-two cents a week for the rent. 
"'But you've got yourself to provide for, as well as your little sister,' said the seamstress. "'I can do it,' said Rough and Ready confidently. "'Don't you worry about that.' "'But it seems as if I was making money out of Rose.' "'No more than she is making money out of you. "'It's the same for both, as far as I can see,' said the newsboy. "'Now, how much does it cost you for eating a week?' "'About a dollar and a quarter,' said the seamstress, after a little thought. "'That's a very little. What can you get for that?' "'There's a small loaf of bread every day. "'I get that at the baker's round the corner. "'I don't often get better, but I keep a little on hand, "'so that when my appetite is poor I can use it. "'When eggs are cheap, I boil one for my breakfast. "'Don't you ever eat meat?' "'Sometimes I buy half a pound of steak at the market. "'That lasts me two days. "'It strengthens me up wonderfully.' "'Half a pound of meat in two days,' repeated Rough and Ready wonderingly. "'I guess you don't know what it is to have a newsboy's appetite.' "'No,' said the seamstress, smiling. "'I never was a newsboy that I remember.' "'Rufy can sell papers as fast as anything,' said Rose, "'who had a high appreciation of her brother's merits.' I used to buy him one morning when he was selling. He knew just what paper everybody wanted and made them buy whether they wanted to or not. Oh, I'm a rouser at selling papers, said the newsboy. I can sell more in a morning than any boy on the street. You look like a smart boy. Do I? I wish other people thought so, but I tried for a place once, and the man looked at me as if he thought I'd start off early some morning with his cash box and declined engaging me. Maybe he thought I looked too smart. "'Rufy wouldn't steal for anything,' said Rose, with indignant emphasis. "'I don't know about that. I've stolen you this morning. "'I expect Mr. Martin will open his eyes wider than usual when he finds you are gone. "'I'll tell you what I'll do, Miss Manning,' he continued, turning to the seamstress. "'As near as I can make out, Rose will cost about three dollars a week. "'That's too much. Sixty-two cents and a dollar and a quarter make not quite two dollars. "'I know that, but you will want to live a little better than you have done.' You must have meat oftener, and will want fire all the time when it's cold. Then it won't do you any hurt to have a good cup of tea every night. But three dollars it seem a good deal for you to pay, expostulated Miss Manning. Don't trouble yourself about that. I can work more cheerful if I know that Rose is comfortable. Maybe if I'll buy her a book, you'll teach her a little every day. I will, and with great pleasure. Then I'll bring the book along tonight. Oh, there's one more thing, said Rough and Ready suddenly. "'Don't you want to take another boarder?' "'Another boarder?' "'Yes. I'd like to come round and take supper with you every night. "'Breakfast I'll get at the lodging house and dinner at a restaurant, "'but it would be pleasant to come round and eat supper with you and Rose.' "'It would be pleasant for us also,' said Miss Manning. "'I guess that'll cost you a dollar a week more, so I'll pay you four dollars a week. "'I don't like to have you pay so much. I feel as if I were making money out of you.' I'll take care you don't. You don't know what an appetite I've got. I'll come round at six every evening or before. Only six can be the hour for supper. Very well, Rufus, but you must promise me one thing. What is it? That if you find it's too hard on you to pay so much money, you will let me know. All right, so it's all settled. Yes. Good, said the newsboy with an air of satisfaction. Now, I must be going to business. I don't know exactly what time it is, as I left my gold watch lying on the sofa in Leonard Street. "'Oh, what a story, Rufie,' said Rose. "'He hasn't got any gold watch, Miss Manning, "'and we didn't have any Sophie in Leonard Street.' "'That's the way she's always exposing me, Miss Manning,' "'said the newsboy, laughing. "'Well, Rosie, good-bye. "'It's time for the evening papers to be out, "'and I must be on hand as the other boys.' "'He kissed his little sister and hurried downstairs. "'As he was making his way towards the offices of the evening papers, "'he felt great satisfaction in thinking of his unexpected good fortune "'in finding so desirable a home for his little sister. 
Hitherto he had felt a great deal of anxiety about her, during his necessary absence during the day, knowing only too well the character of his stepfather. He had known that there was danger of little Rose being abused in his frequent fits of intoxication, and more than once his heart was filled with apprehension as he ascended the stairs to the cold and cheerless room in Leonard Street, which he had been forced to call home for the lack of a better. But now there was a great change for the better. He knew that Miss Manning would be kind to little Rose, and would take good care of her, as well as provide her with pleasant company, while he was on the street selling papers. It was pleasant to him also to reflect that the arrangement would be an advantageous one for the seamstress. He had noticed her pale cheek, and he felt sure that it proceeded, not only from steady and confining work, but also from a lack of nourishing food. She would now be able to live better and more comfortable, and without exceeding the sum which she had hitherto been accustomed to expend. In the first place, she would have to pay thirty-eight cents less weekly for rent, and though this may seem a very small sum to the boys and girls who may read my story, it represented to the poor seamstress the proceeds of an entire day's work, beginning at early morning and extending for fourteen hours. So while Rough and Ready thought principally of his sister, it pleased him to feel that in benefiting her, he was also benefiting the one who had agreed to take charge of her. Then, as to himself, although he would pass his nights at the lodging-house and eat breakfast there, once a day he would be at the little room in Franklin Street, and this would make him feel that he had some share in his sister's home. He made his way to the offices of the evening papers, obtained a supply, and was soon busily engaged in disposing of them. While he is thus engaged, we must go back to Leonard Street, which the newsboy and his sister have left, as they hope, forever. Chapter 6. Martin's Awakening James Martin lay in a drunken stupor for about an hour after Rough and Ready and his sister left the room. Then he roused a little and muttered, Rose! But there was no answer. Rose, he repeated, not stirring from his recumbent position. Have you got anything to eat in the house? But the little girl whom he addressed was already in her new home on Franklin Street. Why don't you answer? demanded he angrily. I'll give you a licking. As this threat also elicited no response, he turned over and rose slowly. The gal isn't here, he said, after looking about him. She's gone out with her scamp of a brother. He's an obstinate young rascal. I'll give him a floggin' some time. Martin had often had the disposition to inflict punishment upon our hero, but there was a sturdy courage and firmness about Rough and Ready that promised a determined opposition. So he had escaped where a weaker and more timid boy would have suffered bad treatment. Though Martin missed Rose, he had no idea yet that she had left him for good, as the saying is. He supposed that she had gone out to stand by her brother when he was selling papers. He had often been drunk before, and probably expected to be often again. He felt no particular shame at disposing of the little girl's clothes for rum. He had somehow formed the idea that it was the newsboy's duty to support the family, and felt that he had no business to spend so much money on his sister's dress. He could not understand, therefore, why Rough and Ready should be so angry. "'Dressing up Rose like a princess,' he muttered. "'We're too poor to spend money on good clothes. I have to go about in rags, and why shouldn't she?' Martin wore a suit which had done long and hard service. He wore a jacket of green cloth, frayed and dirty, while his other garments, originally black, were stained and patched. He wore no collar or necktie. On his head was a tall hat, which had already reached that outward condition when it is usually considered fit only to supply the place of a broken pane. Such was the stepfather of the newsboy and his sister, and when to the description I add inflamed eyes, a red face, and swollen nose, I think my young readers will hardly wonder that the children had long lost all respect and attachment for him, 
if indeed they had ever felt any. When I think of the comfortable home he might have had, for he was a skillful workman and capable of earning good wages, I feel out of patience with him for preferring to lead a life so degraded and useless, doing harm both to himself and to others. But in a great city like New York there are many men who lead lives no better than James Martin, who, for the brief pleasure of the intoxicating cup, throw away their own happiness and welfare, and spoil the happiness of others. Think of this picture, boy reader, and resolve thus early that such a description shall never apply to you. Feeling hungry, Martin looked into the cupboard, and discovered part of a loaf of bread. He was disappointed to find no cold meat, as he had hoped. "'This is pretty poor living,' he muttered. "'That boy must pay me more money. He don't work hard enough. How can he expect three people to live on fifty cents a day?' It did not seem to occur to Martin that he ought to have contributed something himself to the support of the family. So, while he was eating the bread, he continued to rail against our hero, and resolved to exact from him in the future sixty cents daily. "'He can pay it, a smart boy like him,' he muttered. "'He's lazy, that's what's the matter. He's got to turn over a new leaf.' Having eaten up the bread and feeling still hungry, he explored the contents of his pocketbook. It contained twenty-five cents, being half of the money he had received from the old clothes dealer for the little girl's dress. "'That'll buy me a drink and a plate of meat,' he thought. "'Only there won't be any left. Money don't go far in these days.' But persons who get money as this was got are not very apt to be disturbed much by economical thoughts. "'Easy come, easy go,' is an old adage and a true one. So Martin, reflecting that the newsboy was out earning money, of which he would receive the benefit, saw nothing to prevent his using the balance of the money to gratify the cravings of appetite. He accordingly went to a neighboring saloon, where he soon invested his money, and then, thrusting his hands in his empty pockets, strolled listlessly about the streets. Passing through the city hall square, he saw Rough and Ready, at a little distance, selling his papers. "'Rose isn't with him,' said Martin to himself. "'Maybe she's gone home.' However, this was a point in which he felt very little interest, there was no particular object in addressing the newsboy on the subject, so he wandered on in a listless way wherever Caprice led. Strolling down Broadway, he turned into Day Street, though he had no definite object in so doing. All at once he felt a touch upon his shoulder. "'Well, Martin, how goes it?' said a stout, active-looking man of much more respectable appearance than Martin himself. "'Hard luck,' said Martin. "'Well, you don't look very prosperous, that's a fact. Where are you at work now?' "'Nowhere.' "'Can't you find work?' "'No,' said Martin. The fact was that he had not tried, preferring to live on the earnings of his stepson. "'That's strange,' said the newcomer. "'Carpenters are in demand. There's a good deal of building going on in Brooklyn just now. I'll give you employment myself if you'll come over tomorrow morning. I'm putting up three houses on Fourth Avenue and want to hurry them through as soon as possible, as they are already let and the parties want to move in. Come, what do you say?' "'I didn't think of going to work just yet,' said Martin reluctantly. "'The fact is, I don't feel quite strong.' "'Perhaps there's a reason for that,' said the other significantly. "'I don't feel well, and that's all about it.' "'Perhaps you drink a little too often.' "'I don't drink enough to hurt me. It's all that keeps me up.' "'Well, that's your affair, not mine. Only if you make up your mind to go to work, come over tomorrow morning to Brooklyn, and I'll have something for you to do.' To this Martin assented, and the builder, for such was his business, passed on. Martin had very little thought of accepting the proposal, but, as we shall see, circumstances soon brought it to his mind and changed his determination.
It is not necessary to follow Martin in his afternoon wanderings. He took no more drink for the simple reason that he was out of money, and his credit was not good. So when evening came, he was comparatively free from the influence of his earlier potations. About six o'clock, he went back to the room in Leonard Street. It was about that time that Rough and Ready usually went home to eat his supper, and, as he was still hungry, he proposed to eat supper with the children. But when he opened the door of the room, he was surprised to find it empty. He expected to find Rose there at all events, even if her brother had not yet returned home. Rose, he cried out, where are you? There was no answer. If you're hiding anywhere, you'd better come out or I'll give you something you don't like. This is strange, he said to himself, when again there was no reply. He went across the landing and knocked at the opposite door. A stout woman with her sleeves rolled up opened the door. "'Have you seen anything of my two children, Mrs. Flanagan?' asked Martin. "'I saw them this morning.' "'I mean since morning.' "'No. The boy took the little girl out about the middle of the day, "'and I haven't seen either one of them since. "'They didn't say anything to you about going out, did they?' "'Sure they didn't. And why should they? "'They go out every day, for that matter.' "'Well, it's time for them to be home now. They'll be coming soon, it's likely, and Mrs. Flanagan closed her door and went back to washing, for this was her business. Martin returned to the lonely room, not altogether satisfied with what he had learned. It was, as he knew, quite unusual for Rose to be gone out all the afternoon, or, at any rate, not to be back at this hour. Besides, as he called to mind, she was not with Rough and Ready when he saw him in the afternoon. Where, then, could she be? It was from no particular affection for Rose that Martin put to himself these queries, but it was through Rose that he retained his hold upon Rufus and his earnings. Besides, Rose, though only seven years old, had been accustomed to get the supper and make tea at times when Martin had not money enough to buy any beverage more stimulating. So, on the whole, he felt rather uncomfortable and resolved to go out and find the newsboy and learn from him where Rose was. He descended the stairs, therefore, and made his way to the sidewalk in front of the Times office, where Rough and Ready was usually to be found. But here he looked for him in vain. The fact was that our hero had sold off his papers, and a large number of them, with greater rapidity than usual, and was at this very moment sitting at Miss Manning's little table with Rose, eating a comfortable, though not very extravagant, supper. Martin went back to Leonard Street, therefore, still with a vague hope that he might find the children at home but he was destined to be disappointed. The room was as dark and cheerless and lonely as ever. What does it all mean, thought Martin? Has the young rascal given me the slip? He had been in the room only five minutes when there was a knock at the door. It proved to be the landlord's agent who collected the rent. Your month's rent is due, Mr. Martin, he said. I haven't got any money. That answer won't do, said the man shortly. You'll have to come again tomorrow at any rate. My boy's got the money for the rent and he isn't in now. You must be ready tomorrow or move out. I guess it'll be moved then if the boy doesn't come back, muttered Martin. One good thing, he can't escape me. I can catch him tomorrow morning when he's selling papers. Rent or no rent, I'll get one more night's rest in this room. Although it was yet early, he lay down and did not rise till the morning light entered the room. Then, feeling the cravings of appetite, he got up and went out in search of the newsboy. He won't find it quite so easy to get rid of me as he thinks for, muttered Martin with a scowl. End of section three. Recording by Tory Falder.